building a platform to share challenges, thoughts from leaders, and network together, the LabOps Leadership Podcast is elevating LabOps professionals as well as the industry as a whole. With the intent of unlocking the power of LabOps, we deliver unique insights to execute the mission at hand, to standardize LabOps and empower LabOps leaders. I'm Carrie Anderson. And I'm Samantha Black. Welcome to the LabOps Leadership Podcast. So today we're with Luis Portella, who is the Procurement Director of Indirect Materials and Services at Hoviom. Thanks for joining us today, Luis. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's jump right in. And can you just tell us how you got to where you are today? <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a long story, but uh, it starts with <laughs> chemical engineering at college. And then I, I, I did a PhD in chemical engineering. So I lived four years in Belgium. Turned back to, to the country, to Portugal, where I'm in at the moment. And uh, I went through a range of companies, uh, FMCG, um, yeah. detergents, you know, food industry, petrochemicals was a big chunk in, I mean, somewhere along the lines. Um, and um, and I ended here, in, so where I am now, in the pharma industry. So, so Hovion is a, is a, well, strict, strictly speaking, it's a, it's, a, it's a fine chemicals company. However, we, we work exclusively for the pharma industry. So we manufacture exclusively what, uh, what it's called uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients. So the part of the, of the medicines that actually has a therapeutic effect on, on patients. And uh, yeah, so I've been uh, in procurement for uh, over 20 years now. But something that I, Actually, to begin with, I, would, I, I told some some interview that I would would not like to do, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so like many years later, I I landed on this, and uh, it's actually something that I that I like a lot because it's very transversal. It touches each and every area of the company, especially indirect, because it's uh, you know if it's not a raw material or a packaging material, then it's indirect, and then it's the whole company, in fact. So services, materials, equipment. So um, a bit of this and that, everything runs through through this through this area. So that's that's where I am now. So I'm responsible for uh, for this area in the in the company. We're not a huge company, but we are geographically very scattered, which is good. So culturally, time zone wise, uh, you know, and problem wise, it's very 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 diverse. And and, and so I run teams at the factories and also centrally in um, in Lisbon, where the head office of the company is, is located. So uh, oh. so much for Luis Portela. <laughs> I think it's really interesting that you made jump from chemical engineering to procurement. What was that like originally studying chemical engineering and then switching over to procurement? Because I know that's something a lot of our listeners can relate to, just because a lot of us have a science background, and then we leave the bench and end up in operations. Yeah, it's well, uh, well, um, hazard has a lot to do uh, <laughs> with this, as, as you may imagine. I didn't go, you know, as I said, it was not in my mind to start in, in, in procurement or have a procurement activity. So I, I started in production when I when I first moved to the, to the second company I worked for. Actually, I moved to planning, and that was probably production planning. That was mm-hmm. a deliberately a deliberate move. So I've been in, I was in procure in, um, in production. So I said, okay, fine, now I know. Now I know about maintenance, I know about production, so let's do something different. So I landed in, in production planning, I organized the area, and then we restructured the company, and uh, there was an opportunity in procurement, they were looking for someone, but they didn't want to, to bring someone from the outside, so they asked me, well, I'm 
would you take this? And because of the restructuring of the company, I said, yeah, well, I kind of restructured myself and then, and then switched it to this, to this new area. And um, I ended up liking it a lot. So, so uh, that's what's why in the subsequent moves, I remained in procurement and I didn't want to go back to, to production or within, let's say, an intermission of a year and a half, two years, where I actually did chemical engineering. So, you know, design and uh, calculations, yeah. but I quickly returned to procurement. So, yeah, actually, am where I like to be and where I want to develop, the, you know, the work that I've been doing with this, with this company. So, you know, you're in procurement for 20, 20 years. I bet the last couple of years have been crazy. So, and in a unique way, because I feel like you probably had a lot more visibility than you have in the past. So, you know, what has that been like? You've probably been seen as more of a key team member in the last couple of years. Like, do you have maybe an example of how you've really impacted like the speed at which, you know, Things are happening and drugs are being developed yeah. maybe faster than before. Well, I can give you I can give you an example. And COVID for good and bad, uh, you know, it gives us all a lot of examples, a lot of experience. I can give you an example in, in uh, what happened at the beginning of, of COVID. In fact, so we've got we are a company. We've got four factories: one in the U.S., in New Jersey, you know, East Windsor, two in Europe, so one in, in Cork, Ireland, another one in Portugal, and and a fourth one in Macau in China. So when the pandemic started in the, in the East, so it affected that factory first. And then there was immediate in, you know, lack of materials, especially lack of PPEs. You know, people needed masks, suits, um, and, and and mind you, so because we are a pharmaceutical company in certain areas of the of production, people wear suits which are the exact same suits as hospitals, as as the people at the professionals at hospitals use, and especially in these days you know they were fully you know uniformed and they were the exact same ones so what we did uh, across the company actually we started to manage the company as a as a whole and not as different units and so the west fed the east and so we started pumping you know materials that they needed and we keep on feeding the the, the factory and everything so as so that production would not stop uh, for want of either the actual raw materials or spares or equipment, but also PPEs and all the equipment they needed to just keep operating the, the unit. It was not a COVID-related thing. It was just, you know, the the suits and, and garments they had to use in order to, to operate it. So then the pandemic spread, and so it hit Europe and then eventually the US. And then we reversed the flow because by the time it hit the US, in fact, it was alleviating a little bit in a... In China, you know, production, uh, you know, the industrial base uh, of China started to, you know, to come live again. And so we we managed that, you know, the re- sort of reverse the flow. And then it was the East that was feeding the West. And it was an interesting exercise because you could see, and it also happened with, with raw materials uh, here and there and some, and some services. Services were probably the most challenging ones because it meant people moving about, which was not an easy thing at, at that time. But we still managed to do it somehow. So in the end, you know, like three years later, you look back and said, well, did we did we stop? Did we have a problem, a hiccup? Now we had lots of stress, definitely, but no stoppage. Together with this, and it was an interesting one. So the company decided that because of our industrial setup, we could also, you know, be able to produce, we were also able to produce 
disinfectants. So we we've gotten the the UN uh, formula for for uh, hand disinfectant, and we started producing it and distributing it, you know, for free to to hospital ONGs, you know, and in all factories. We produce. I think in excess of 200 tons or so um, of material, you know, across, <laughs> let's say across the world, well, in these four areas. And we started, you know, feeding the, you know, the, the adjacent areas of hospitals, you know, daycare uh, centers and things like that. So, and, and it was uh, interesting because at one point in time, I had to go to a hospital. My father was ill, so I, I took him there and I was waiting in the waiting room and I started looking around. And it was very strange because there were some some bottles with the Hovion's logo. I said, "But it's very strange. What is this? Because we don't sell to the you know to the end public. We sell to the big pharma companies." And it was the the disinfectant that we were producing. So it was you know one feels proud because conceptually you're helping. You know you're setting up things. We work with our suppliers to make sure that everything runs smoothly. We get the bottles. You know everybody is is, is happy getting disinfectant for free. But you don't actually see the, you know, the effect of of those actions until you are, you know, flip the coin. Now you're on the on the user end, and then you look at that and say, "Wow, oh, this is the result of our work." And that that was weird, but also very satisfying at the same time. So we didn't accelerate production per se, but we kept the flow of you know, active pharmaceutical ingredients to our customers that they could continue producing their medicines, which eventually, you know, landed on the on the patient's body because they 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 could take it. There was no no stopping. So, very very challenging, but um, but interesting to see how one can uh, you know pull the the team together and and make things work, even in very difficult environments. Hasn't hasn't become any easier since then, so I must say so. <laughs> For one reason or another, you know, you stop pandemic or, or you know, it just isn't the same problem as it was, you know, like three years ago. Then you have a different sort of geopolitical problems, and you have to adapt in different ways. So that's let's say that's our take on on this. How can you contribute? You know, if if things keep on working as they were, no changes. You know, it's like the air you're breathing, you know, it's fine. You only notice it until it's not there. And then, you know, then the problems come. So we've become a bit under focus, probably more now. Uh, you know, this uh, last, say, nine months or so with, with energy crisis, then yes, you know, there's, it starts, there starts to be, there starts, you know, you get impacted by a cost question. Pandemic was not about cost. Right. It was about availability. Today is about cost. And there, yes, you know, where are my savings? Where are, you know, where are my cost avoidances? These are the questions of, you know, the powers that be. <laughs> and that, yes, then we become under the spotlight and we get, we do. Yeah. I mean, I think it takes a, a ton of creativity, honestly. And going from the bench to, to a support role, I think some people think that it's less taxing, but it's, you know, you're just flexing a different muscle in a, in a different yeah. way. And so yeah, I think exactly. it's really incredible that you, you're still problem solving, you're still trying to, to figure out the best solution. And so it's just, it just looks a little different, but, you know, I love to see that, that work and that effort. And, you know, it takes a lot to not be a cog in the machine, you know, sometimes that's, yeah. that's really yeah, absolutely. valuable. And so I think it's, it's really great to see the light shine on that because it's, you know, maybe it's not all glitzy and, and, you know, you have some big, no. 
the end, but it's still super important. Sometimes it's frustrating because, you know, we get a lot of questions from all areas. And sometimes, we, I mean, we look at that and say, that, well, I, I wish you just, you know, stop, you know, five seconds to think about your, what you're asking me. And you'd probably solve it, you know, on the spot without asking us anything. The flip side is, you know, they come to me because they know I solve problems. And in fact, you know, we're proud, you know, we don't go about and telling, oh, how, how good we are. However, we see that day in, day out. People come to us to solve things, which, and then uh, because we touch so many areas and we have to think about uh, in so many different ways, it's sort of like your brain is prepared to, to, to tackle a problem and solve it, you know, the best possible way, fastest as we can. Um, and so it's more, let's say, convenient to people that say, well, rather than, you know, we, we spend here two hours, I mean, let's, let's just go over to those guys over there because, you know, their brains are made to solve problems. It's frustrating because say, well, I also want, I also have other things to do. But on the other hand, you know, the, the contribution to the company doesn't come just, you know, strictly on what you're doing, but actually what, what more can you do you know, support other areas and not just, uh, you know, how I just found, a, you know, an alternative for a very critical supply and blah, blah, blah. So, so it's, um, it's interesting, um, this, this, this area. I think it's, you know, it, it, it's a sort of underdog for one. However, once you're in it, it's very pleasing because, you know, it's so diverse uh, that, that, uh, you know, you're, if you have a brain that 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 is focused on on uh, that needs to be fed with different topics, different things happening, then definitely yes, uh, you know, procurement and especially indirect, it's a place to be. It was a yeah. good sales speech, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think it is an area also that you know, lab operations. A lot of people end up being part of, but you know, don't have a background or experience in it. Mm-hmm. What's something you can say to people that, you know, a lot of times at a startup, you know, a lab manager, lab operations director ends up kind of being the procurement person in the beginning. Um, What are some tips or tricks you have to offer to people for that? Well, let's say, so I I was, I was a scientist once uh, during four years. And uh, interestingly, uh, probably halfway through that period, so as you become a senior member of the scientific staff of of the lab uh, where I was working in in Louvain-la-Neuve in Belgium. So myself and a, and a colleague of mine, we were asked by the lab director, as this, uh, you know, gases, gas distribution lines, spare parts and things and glassware for, you know, that's all scientists, all technicians were using. He said, well, this is a bit of a mess. Now you're the two of the most senior people I have here, you know, just do something to organize this. So it was probably, you know, my first procurement slash management function that alongside my scientific activity there. So we set us, we set the two of us together into the task of, you know, managing resources, uh, physical resources, not people, but but actually, you know, the, the, the physical support of the lab, you know, all these distrib- distributions. So we, we reduced, you know, by, by two thirds, the number of bottles at the lab. We reorganize lines, uh, you know, we put feeding points to each and every point. Uh, we, we manage the spares for, for chromatographs. When we were on the verge of buying new chromatographs, we would interact with the, with the lab director and say, okay, you know, let's not buy 20 different brands. You know, 
sort of unconsciously applying, you know, what we do today as, you know, solid uh, logistics slash planning slash, uh, you know, parts management, warehouse management. We were doing that intuitively. He also said, well, we are spending a lot of money in, you know, in spares and they are quite expensive, tube connections and, and stuff like that. And that's, so if you, if you have, I think for these, you do need a, a sort of engineering or technical minded mind. You have to be a technical-minded person to see this in a pragmatic way. So, so the lab, you know, what do you want to produce out of the lab? You know, produce science. But in order to produce science, you have to have the means. And, uh, you know, the worst thing that could happen is that, you know, like six months before a congress or something, you want to finish your experiment and suddenly, you know, you're out of, you know, five-inch tubing or some, something like that. And that that really doesn't work. So, working there in the lab environments, but alongside it, you know, managing the lab's resources to make sure that they were available to, to our colleagues was actually very interesting. So, you know, establishing, you know, cupboards for, for I was going to say raw materials for reagents, you know, glassware, you know, making sure, also pushing people into cleaning them because it's not just you know, making sure that it exists, but it can be depleted very quickly if nobody you know, does housekeeping. So that was very various areas of managing stocks, managing, you know, the physical distribution of things at the lab, but also, you know, asking people to change a little bit their minds so that, uh, you know, resources were, you know, let's put back to service, uh, you know, with a fast cycle. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was a sort of... Um, Antichamber to to the professional life in there. So yeah, that's 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 what you can do. And if you really want, there's so many things that that you can do in these, uh, you know, even in small labs. But you know, just making sure that you don't have a, an oxygen bottle and a nitrogen bottle at each and every corner of your lab. I mean, just have one, and then you know, buy stretch of, uh, of stainless steel tubing and then distribute it. So you have to think about that. So it's not it's not an unsolvable problem. You may you may need a little bit more resources in the beginning, but then you know in the long run, it pays to be organized. So you have to have a structured mind to do it. But if you can, then by all means, you know where you're working will immediately feel the, the difference of your, of your activity. So you have so much experience in this, and I know, which is I think actually more unusual because I think you know when we talk about lab ops it's more of an evolving field, you know, like technology implementation now and, and that side of that, you know, you're, you're really strong on like the lab management side. So, you know, I think it's really incredible that you have so much experience in this for somebody who's, who's not, or who's new or not as well-versed as you are, like, what are some of the different things that you can do now or that you see, you know, obviously there's a lab management side procurement, but, you know, if you were talking to a younger lab ops manager out there, mm-hmm. what does a career in this look like? Because you do, you have had one. And so how have you managed that and what might that look like for others? Well, as I said, I mean, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, a lab is not so different from home. And if you dislike, as I do, living in confusion and, and, and disorganization, then you eventually bring that to, to your own uh, workplace. And, and then you start pushing those practices about and, uh, and influence uh, people. I think before, you know, materials are materials um, and they will do whatever you want. And, and you know, if you have the money, then you you'll have the solution, so it's fine. So I think more difficult than that is, is actually managing people. 
And even worse is if you don't have a hierarchical relationship with them. So they're just at your level. You're just first among equals. So what you have to do, and that that's what I what I found at that time, changing people's minds, not because you tell them to, but because um, you manage to make them see the right angle, the right approach to being in a in a lab. You know, very quickly, I mean, if you work in a lab, you see that again, take take glassware. I mean, you know, try and not clean them, you know, just one day. And then you'll see the next day when you come, it's a mess. It's it's totally not organized. Uh, you know, some some cleaning, you know, requires chemical cleaning. So things have to be put and stashed somewhere and they have to stay there for one or two days before they are properly cleaned and then and can be put back to service again. So if I if I can if I can you know give some advice, you know, start trying and influence people the right way. You know, get your brain organized, you know, think you're at home, think that you don't want to have a you know trip on a on a roller skate. I mean likewise, I mean you don't want to just get to the lab and say, I need a, a glass a cup somehow, a pipette or something, and then you just realize there are 20 of those and you can't use them. So and then suddenly, you know, your very well and neatly organized schedule for that day is gone because then you spend like one hour, you know, trying to clean things. So, you know, if you are organized, please continue to be organized at, at work on the one hand. And on the other hand, you know, you have to create an impact in others. And if you manage to do that when you're not their manager, then later on, you will be more than a manager. You will be a leader because people, you know, just give advice to people and they will take it as a, as a, as a very strong recommendation to follow. So you'll become a leader. So, and this, you have to practice. I mean, you know, sometimes you, yeah, you have it in you, but, but if, you, if you have never used it, then, then it's very difficult to, to make it work. Can give you an example, and actually, it was my first. My first, the company I first worked for was L'Oréal, so, you know, the French cosmetics company, and I was in a factory. And I was put shortly after I was in in a, you know leading maintenance. I had to handle. I had to lead people that were you know like 20, 30 years uh, of experience, and I had was just you know fresh out of the university or, or my PhD, you know, came back to to Portugal. And then went to this company. So, and we had to test an equipment, and it, it involved, you know, water circuit. So we we need to have a bucket. And the guy in the said, "Well, it's working well, but you know, my I'm very curious." So I said, "Okay, fine, but you know, let's just test one by one of these circuits because I want to see them working and open rather than closed." And he looked at me and said, "We need a bucket." And I told him, "Yes, we need a bucket." And he told me, "Bucket is in the washing area." And I told him, yes, the bucket is in the washing area. And in my mind, you know, I'm, you know, late 20s. The guy is 50 years old. I said, you know, I have to tell him to, to go there. I will not go. So he has to go there. And so I, you know, I gave a, a direct order. I said, go and get the bucket. Now, you know, you're telling these and in your mind says, what if he says no? <laughs> you know, what if he says, you know, I will not do it. Uh, so I gave him two seconds. So it was, I mean, I remember this still as if it had been yesterday. I told him, go and get the bucket. One, two, please. And the guy, you know, you give the direct order, give them some time, and then, you know, you soften the blow. And the guy look at, looked at me and said, now I will go. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it looks, it looks a, bit, a bit silly, 
but it's it's this you know the principle you know stick and carrot you know you order but you know you also you know you understand i mean this i'm just a little guy and the guy's you know 20 years in the company and i'm giving him orders just because i've got a university degree and uh, you know handling these he knows about the machine far more than i do but actually what i want to do is 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 learn it so if you, if you do that then you gain respect and then you can be a leader even amongst equals so this is what i if if i if i can recommend anything you have to show that you you know how to do it another example and actually you know l'oréal was, was full of good experience you know we just disassembled together with a technician a, a machine to 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 put the shrink wrap and the guy you know everything was dismantled he looks at me and says it's five o'clock i have to go can you reassemble it you know there was a team waiting for the machine to start and i said no problem i can i can do it there was another technician there it just was just looking at me and wasn't doing anything but i knew how to reassemble that so i reassembled the machine put it to work i didn't say anything else but just looked at them and said you can now work and then i left and went home but you know people just start looking at you in a different way because you know just they just proof test you and if you succeed in in uh, you know in those trials then you get respect i mean they may not like you but uh, but they say i mean you know it's no use you know putting this guy in a difficult situation because you know he can come out of it so it's all these things this this type of interaction you have to understand you have to understand who is on the other side you have to be strict but you don't have to be harsh or you know i don't know if this even exists in english but gratuitously harsh i mean it's just for no good reason you're that doesn't work no and if you insert you know a please or if you if you do the right thing and then because i could have looked at the other guy and said you come here and help me it, it was easy but that was the easy way out so you know here and there you just have an attitude and, and you show them so and this is among equals among scientists you know even with the you know the lab technicians if they are there to to support you in your activity if you prove that you can do then even if you don't they they will just okay fine i mean we cannot cannot play with this guy because i mean he will just play along you know with the exact same level of proficiency as we do so there's no good so if if i have a recommendation is yes no know how to manage people <laughs> <laughs> this is very difficult but this is important and uh, the second thing is you know if you can show to them that you're able technically to execute things in practice as they do then they will accept whatever whichever instructions you give them because you know it's uh, they acknowledge that you're at least as equal to them so these are my two main uh, thoughts about this what i what i've gotten throughout this life i think that's beautifully well said it is one of the hard things I think about being in lab operations is those soft skills that, yes. you know, people can't teach you. You have to learn on your own. And I think it is what makes the difference between an incredible lab ops professional. Yeah, I got one here in, a, I was already in procurement, by the way. I, I draw, you know, for me, these varied experience and the different environments I was exposed to, you know, are a huge source of experience and the, and skills and capabilities so was already in procurement we had to to close a deal on some chromatographs and we had to buy them and then we needed the services for the chromatograph and then i was explaining the to the heads of the um, of the analytical chemistry area at hovion already the the head of that lab 
and I was telling him, okay, so but we need we need uh, you know this service. So the guy has to come and uh, you know and started to tell you know he has to disassemble the detector and then the column over lower the temperature and then uh, you know input and the rotating valve. I just closed and said, you know, these are the activities they have to do, sort of listing you know the, the scope of service. Yeah. So I ended that, and they looked at me, and this, this one lady said, but you know how to operate a chromatograph? I said, yeah, <laughs> of course. You know, I've been in lab. I saw it. Again, you know, like with the other machine, I can disassemble it and reassemble it, and I know what I need to operate. It's, it's, uh, yeah. It was, you know, again, four years of my life. And again, there was influence. I said, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, yeah, it helps you set their a address. different level of interaction. You just don't rub that on people's faces, but you give them this example or you just, you know, show it naturally. It's not, it doesn't have to be, you know, pulled out of nowhere and out of context. But if you get the opportunity and then, then you show that, you know, and, uh, and they will look at you with different eyes. So it was, it was funny. I mean, I internally, I was laughing and said, yes, of course I can. I, mean, I wouldn't <laughs> mind going back to the lab. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. But uh, yes, show them that you know how to do it. Yeah. And I think staying humble about it. I mean, that's just doesn't matter if you're in lab ops or not. That's just good, good life advice for anybody's career. So I think, yeah, I think that applies no matter what. And, and also what I heard you say is like, just to get lots of different types of experience, like just, you know, that all contributes to your career now, even if it's not directly lab ops, it's still everything you do contributes to your success later in life. So get lots of different types of experience. Yeah, you draw you draw on your experience. I mean, the, even if if your professional career, whether you're starting or, or you know, well advanced on it, it's made of chunks. However, these are not, you know, watertight chunks. They permeate, and and you draw. I mean, they are there at your disposal. I mean, and just you know, good things and bad things. It's, it's it's sort of a platitude, you know. Oh, learn with your mistakes, but it's true. I mean, it's not. Again, I'm not proactively looking. You know, where is my last? Ex- where was my last experience on this? And look, but but as you are exposed to new situations, I mean, if you, if you remember and if you are doing things consciously. You drag all these experience uh, behind you and you can say, okay, now I have to open the drawer of this. And then I just go there and pull some, you know, okay. So this, and actually, you know, oh, I did this last time, you know, like 15 years ago. I mean, it was with a person and people don't change, you know, technology and then the equipment change, but people don't. So if there was a certain reaction a certain, to a certain attitude from my side, you know, you can bet that if it was like that 15 years ago, Chances are it will be the same today. So, you know, let's try and modify it. And I mean, it's interesting, you know, when you ask me questions and I, I start thinking about this, you know, in a rational way, but I don't rationalize this as I go by, you know, it's just instinctively I said, oh yeah, okay. And, you know, examples keep popping to the to the front of my mind and say, okay, right, no, this is this is the the approach. So let's see if I, you know, let's see if it works again or, you know, let's try and avoid this. So, this is how I, I use the experience I've been having. And if, I mean, if you have been just one year at the lab, uh, 250 days, not counting the weekends, but yeah. people tend to work on weekends uh, at the lab as well. <laughs> uh, you know, the equipment is only <laughs> available when, when, when you can. So, um, yeah. and, and it's, it's 200 days that you've been exposed to many things. So, so, you know, it's already a lot of experience. People don't think, oh, I've just been one year. Yeah, fine. You know, make the most of you out of that of that two hundred yeah. something days. A lot can happen in a year. 
Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, I, yeah, I think that your experience is wonderful and I have like really enjoyed hearing about it. Cause I, even me, I'm not in, I'm not in lab ops, but I'm sitting here and I'm like, yeah, all of that's true. Like it's, it's knowledge (laughs) changing, you know, information. I am. And I feel the same way. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I I can learn so much from that and take it. It's just such good a reminder to, you know, people, people are the focus. And if you focus on people and treating people right and understanding how to interact with people, you're going to be successful no matter what you do or where you go. So I I love that. Okay, Louise, the last question I want to ask you is just if somebody listened to the podcast and just said, oh my gosh, I want to talk to this guy some more. How can they get in touch with you? Where can they find you? Or how can they stay up to date with what you're doing? Well, the easiest, the easiest and the straightforward answer these days, you know, social media. I mean, I'm, I'm there. If you ask me, am I active? Very active. Totally not. Uh, I have. I tend to have a sort of a lazy approach to that. So, you know, here and there, I get in touch with people uh, on a need to use basis. Uh, I. I don't. I don't volunteer. Probably I'm wrong, but I don't volunteer so much information. But but here and there, you know, we get in touch with people and, uh, and we organize. So I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. You will find me also. You know, on the other, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and and, and Instagram. But I've got those accounts, uh, you know, for very specific reasons here and there. I needed to to open it and I opened I'm barely ever there, uh, really. I mean, it's there, but uh, don't expect a lot of feedback. On LinkedIn, yes. And here and there, I, I just you know, pop out and uh, and exchange a few, you know, texts with these people. Uh, I tend to use because, you know, you go to congresses or to trade shows and that's a way to stay in touch with people and suddenly you have a difficulty or you want to clarify something and so oh, I talked with these guys so let's let's get back in touch and uh, so it's a very useful so yeah it can be used uh, you know a quick exchange of information then if it's you know if it's necessary to you know let's have a one hour chat or something like that or half an hour so no problem and then we can connect through there and then and then we find a way to to to, to zoom in no pun intended, uh, and, uh, and do it. So yes, it's possible. No problem. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been an awesome conversation. I have learned so much and just thank you for sharing your journey with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, I, I hope it was useful for, yeah. for those that, that look after your podcasts. I mean, if, if it can contribute to, you know, to them being, you know, better professionals or, uh, or simply better people. I mean, I'm I'm very happy already with that. So it was it was good talking to you, and uh, thank you a lot for for having me in this. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the LabOps Leadership Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For show notes, resources, and more information about LabOps Unite, please visit us at labops.community/podcast. This show is powered by Elemental Machines.